sweet of him. Look on the ASA. My gosh. They're all going against the wind. It was basically a cube with inside of sphere where the points of the cube uh, were touching outside of the sphere. States. It's a worldwide phenomenon. That UFO podcast is powered by Zencaster. Zencaster is one of the world's leading platforms for recording and hosting podcasts. The open beta strives to put the power of studio quality remote video production into the hands of anyone with a story to tell. Features include HD video recording, studio quality sound, chat and footnotes all running right from your browser so you can record from anywhere without ever installing anything. Check out the links in the show description to find out more. This is Lou Elizondo and you are listening to That UFO Podcast. Hi everyone and welcome back to That UFO Podcast. We are ending 2021 with an absolute bang with no doubt one of the people of the year in terms of UFOs. Returning for his second appearance on the podcast, we have journalist and best-selling author Ross Coulthart. Ross, welcome back to the podcast. G'day Andy and Merry Christmas to you and your listeners, mate. And I'm sorry to hear you've had COVID the last week or so. It's a pretty rotten, rotten experience. I have. It's been it's been pretty rough. Uh, still coming out the other, other end of it, but I've I've saved my energy for today to get this to get the most out of this hour with yourself, Ross. So uh, I appreciate we've got a limited time and we've got a lot to get through as well. The listener questions from last time there were so many left over, and I, I received again hundreds this time for you. So we'll see what we can get through as best we can. Ross, I want to get right into it. I, I've just rewatched your your updated documentary, Secrets of the UFOs Revealed. Uh, it was available for free on YouTube worldwide, which was a huge bonus for everyone outside of Australia. We didn't have to go find dodgy ways of watching it, so that was absolutely fantastic. Um, one of the lines straight off the bat I want to talk about that jumped out to me, Ross, was uh, the host, Michael Usher, mentioned it was an ongoing investigation you were a part of, and I think to hear that it's ongoing still is really promising. Are you still actively involved in investigating UFOs like today? Andy, I can tell you, mate, I, I've never, as a journo, you kind of dream of stories like this. I mean, one, because nobody else in the mainstream media seems to be digging into this yarn. The best thing you can get as an investigative journalist is a ripe load of data and and sources providing you with information that nobody else is getting. And um, it's funny because I've... I, I've been getting phone calls, tentative phone calls from mates of mine on newspapers. There's been a, a few from the US, a few from the UK, and in fact, one from Russia recently. And um, they're all sort of whispering down my ear going, oh, you're looking at UFOs. And, and I go, yeah, 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 it's a really good story, a really fascinating story. And they're all still worried about this ridicule factor, the stigma and the taboo that's attached. And I'm lucky because I no longer work in full-time mainstream journalism. I work for Channel 7 Australia, and we have a really good relationship as their kind of investigative journalist, and I feed them the stories when I'm ready to feed them to them. And I can tell you, mate, I have never in my journalistic career have had so many people of high-caliber insiders offering really interesting information that, that tells an awful lot about a fascinating subject matter. And believe me, I'm a dog on a bone on this one. It's um, it's great fun. And as we say in the business, it's a bloody good yarn. It's it's a ripper. It's a rip-snorting story. And, um, uh, you know, you, you chase it where it takes you. And Channel 7, the people I work with in Australia, um, <coughs> they want me to do other stories. I, I did over your Prince Andrew and his dirty relationship with um, Jeffrey Epstein, alleged. I saw, um, yeah. Just a few weeks ago, and um, I'll still be doing other stories, but um, the UAP subject matter is an issue that has drawn more viewer, listener, reader response to me through all the mediums that I broadcast and publish on than any other story in my entire career. There is a wisdom of the crowd here that notwithstanding that 
a large part of the mainstream media chooses to accept the intelligence community peddled notion that this is a subject for taboo, stigma and ridicule, there's a hell of a lot of people out there who want this tr- subject treated seriously and and with some journalistic integrity. And uh, I- I'm happy to say that because I've made my contacts available in my book and on my website, people are contacting me and they're offering quite interesting information. And so, yeah, I, I will continue to pursue this. Something people struggle to grasp, Ross, is when we hear about Christopher Mellon, Luis Elizondo and others, they have NDAs, non-disclosure agreements that stop them elaborating or going into those juicy details and getting those yarns. You don't have that same restriction necessarily, do you? At what point does that change for you, though, if if next year... Ross Coulter decides that UFOs are no longer for him, the story drops and goes cold. What stops you spilling all the things you have been told that you're not able to come out and say? Look, the the most important thing for me, Andy, and this is a cardinal rule for any journalist who does his or her job properly, is protecting sources. It, source protection is absolutely vital. Frankly, it's one of the reasons why I have a problem with Julian Assange, because he purports to be a journalist, but I don't think he did enough to protect the people in the data that he somewhat recklessly leaked. And I'm not a tool of US intelligence in saying that. I just think as a journalist, it's important that we protect sources. And I don't like the way that people like... um, uh, the the sources that have leaked stuff to WikiLeaks, for example, have been screwed because their identities have been revealed, often often through reckless source protection. So, the biggest reason for why I can't talk about what I know in entirety is because, frankly, I have to protect the people who've confided in me, and that requires them saying to me sometimes, "Look, I'm going to tell you this part." But you can only use this bit, because if you use this bit and this bit, it'll identify me. And that's where we're at. I mean, some of these people are working in um, compartmentalized programs. They're not telling me stuff, frankly, that um, reveals sources and, well, they're not telling me stuff that, frankly, I shouldn't really know. I mean, I'm not not being told national secrets. Um, But the the reality is that... um, you know, I, I have to protect people. That's the fundamental concern that I have. I mean, I, all through my career, I've had this situation. I, I was once in a court case in a defamation trial where I was being sued over the um, the veracity of uh, a, a, a way I'd made an inquiry. And the person I'd used was a cop. And they'd, they'd, they'd helped me with an inquiry and verified some information. And um, in order to prove the truth of what I said, I... I was being asked to compromise my source and I was told by the judge to go away and think about it because um, it would be a contempt of court. I could face a criminal situation if I didn't reveal my source. And so I rang my source in the break and I said, look, um, I want to assure you I am I am absolutely going to do whatever it takes to protect you. I said, I won't reveal who you are. And he cut me off and he said, you know what, Ross? Fuck him. (laughs) He's a good guy. He's quite a senior cop now. And he said, you can tell him who I am. And he said, if you want me to come and testify on your behalf, I'll do that as well. And it's funny because he never had to testify, but it completely took the wind out of the sails of the the other side, my adversaries in this court case. And um, it was a lesson to me, though, about the integrity of source protection. It's absolutely vital, and it's vital for people in the intelligence community as well. You know, you really have to protect people uh, who are often risking their careers, if not their lives, in revealing what they know. And I apologize to people that sometimes I can't be as candid as I'd like to be, but there are genuine reasons for constraints. And I understand why Lou Elizondo and Christopher Mellon and many others have got these non-disclosure agreements that constrain them. I mean, look, frankly, if this technology exists, Andy, Let's talk about it. If there is a technology which is capable of harnessing the kind of energy systems, the kind of propulsion systems that we're talking about here, I don't want that falling into the hands of an authoritarian dictatorship like Russia or China. Do you? 
I mean, I, I fully understand why it's necessary to protect this information. And I've said a few times, much to the shock of friends of mine in your um, your world of ufology, I've actually said a few times, I completely understand why the US government is keeping what it knows secret. Uh, I'm not justifying that behaviour, and I think that the level of secrecy is absurd, and I think the public can handle the truth. But I, I can understand why the instinct of the national security community has been to put a lid on this stuff. And that was a slow revelation for me. I mean, and I've had people say to me, look, if you realised the capacities of this technology and, frankly, its simplicity, once you know and understand it, um, it means that any terrorist group, for example, could harness an unlimited amount of energy and do things that are, like, literally threatening to the future of the planet. Um, I don't want to sound like I'm overstating things here, but the technology that is represented by what's in the Navy videos, it's indisputably, I mean, even the US government admits it's indisputably a technology that is beyond known human science. That That is groundbreaking, paradigm-shifting, revolutionary. And for that reason... I can understand the secrecy. I'm not justifying it, but I can understand why the reflex of a general or an admiral somewhere deep in the bowels of the Pentagon is to go, hell no, we're not revealing this. So, um, you know, I, I respect and understand why people like Lou Elizondo and Christopher Mellon are operating under NDAs. And frankly, that's what makes it even more amazing that people like that are speaking as candidly as they are. Uh, I mean, it's breathtaking, some of the things that Lou in particular has said. I loved his interview with your um, British GQ magazine. He's such a tease, a real flirt. You know, he, he basically comes just, I mean, and there must be people in the Pentagon who are going, he's going to say it, he's going to say it, he's going to breach his NDA, and then he just comes within a whisker of um, of averting catastrophe. Well, Ross, what, what stood out for you? What was the particular parts that you thought, oh, that's that's close to the line? I actually wrote it down this morning because I, I, I wanted to make a note of it because um, uh, it, it struck me as, you know, a reinforcement of what he said previously, but nonetheless extraordinarily, extraordinarily interesting. Do you believe we have recovered a craft? Lou says, I've been told I have to be very careful how I answer this question. I'm not allowed to expound upon anything I've already said. What I have said is that it is my opinion, my belief, a strong belief, hint, hint, that the US government is in possession of exotic material associated with UAPs. That's all I'm allowed to say. And then, thank heavens, there's a journo who actually follows up with a good question. He says, do you believe organic matter or beings have been recovered? I mean, that's the, that's the $99 question. Lou says, I'm respectfully going to have to pass on that question. There's a couple of questions I'm really not at liberty to discuss. That's one of them. And then he goes on to say, they're intelligently controlled, for sure, because they're responding and reacting to our actions. That is for certain. They are absolutely intelligently controlled by something. Now, geez, do you need to drive a truck over here to basically understand what he's getting at there? I mean, frankly, um, that is what we would call in the Australian journalism business a golden turd. That is a uh, that is a, an absolutely momentous hint. <laughs> I, I can see why people do get frustrated at that, though, because it does get so close to the line that 99% of people would think, well, why not just put your toe over that line? From the because, outside, because Lou would I... be in jail. I mean, when I when I saw Lou in America in um, April, he had he was really rattled, and and this is why I, I I strongly think that it's nonsense that he's some tool of U.S. intelligence. You know, some supplicant counterintelligence officer working under deep cover, in, either through TTSA or on his own bat, because he'd just been hounded by defense security, and I, I could see the stress and pain in his and his poor wife's eyes because they'd just been through a really nasty time with defence security giving them a bollocksing for 
you know, allegedly coming too close to breaching the terms of his NDA. Um, one of the things you have to understand is that Lou's still earning a living. You know, he's he's making a living, and I won't reveal where he's working, but he's still working in a company that it means he has to have a top-secret clearance and a compartmentalised clearance. And to secure that clearance, I mean, I, I would fail in an instant. You know, a, a mate of mine told me the other day that um, – he was being vetted for Australia's um, spy service, which in itself is a breach of the obligations uh, that he has as a potential spy. And and he said to me, he said, oh, Roscoe, you know, one of the things they ask you is, you know, have you ever been um, given material that you, you shouldn't have? You know, have you ever procured state secrets? And I kind of laughed and I said, geez, I'm, I'm a goner, you know, because <laughs> it's part of journalism to be told things that you shouldn't. And quite often the people that are telling you this stuff are the ministers of the Crown who then order the leaks inquiries subsequently. But, you know, the reality is a security clearance is gold for people who work in the in the intelligence community or, the you know, in, in any kind of defence aerospace role with a security clearance. If you lose that clearance, you're on the breadline. And so they've got it over you. Uh, frankly, a, a few friends of mine who who have worked with high security clearances, they, um, they've actually told me quite often that, that people like myself who work with open source intelligence or just talk to sources um, on my own basis without signing security agreements or secrecy agreements, I'm in a better I'm in a better position that they say that I often know more than they do because the the, the material inside government is so heavily compartmentalized. And if I can just make this point, Andy, I, I think this is the heart of the problem. I'm in no doubt that the United States government has recovered, quote, exotic material, as Lou calls it. Others might say craft vehicles. I'm in absolutely no doubt about that. What is the issue is what do we do with that? You know, what, what would you do if you were the United States? I, frankly, would keep it secret. I'm not, I'm not being an excuser or, a, you know, making an apologist for the, uh, for the US government, but frankly, I can understand how this has happened. You don't want technology like this to fall into the wrong hands. And you want, as, you know, hopefully the preeminent power representing Western liberal democracy on the planet, you want that you are the one that controls this technology. I don't want a raving lunatic like Vladimir Putin or President Xi of, Xi of China to be in control of this technology. I dream of a world where nations collaborate and, and work together and, and in a Star Trekian way, you know, basically show a, a willingness to think of themselves as human rather than their individual nationality. But we're not there yet. And for that reason, I can understand why there is nervousness about protecting the um, intellectual property behind this technology. The, there's so much I want to dig into on that, but we'll keep that for another time because I could go back and forward on that for hours on itself. And I do want to get to some of these listener questions, I've promised. Um, Ross, first question from Xavier. When do you believe the question will shift from what is in our skies to who is in our skies? I think that's happening already. I think that's happening already. I mean, I, it's interesting because... I was really skeptical when I first got into this that there was any kind of plan, that there really is some kind of coordinating group. And I, I'm, I, I still am. But I do think that the Pentagon, against the wishes of a vast majority of people in the positions of power, is being pushed into a position of disclosure. And, and frankly, I think the issue has been the more I look at this, the more I realize that only a very small handful of people in the Pentagon, the defense and intelligence community, and also in private aerospace that's been read into this program, only a very small number of people have actually known what's going on. And so when you've seen or heard government denials about you know, any kind of retrieved technology or an awareness of um, non-human intelligent life engaging with this planet. I think generally it's been truthfully imparted. 
um, the bottom line is you've got to know who to speak to to actually find out this stuff. And that's the issue. The, the, the issue is um, we've been talking about sightings since 2017, anomalous objects, phenomena in our skies. And what's happened just in the last few months is I've noticed Elizondo in particular, he's been using increasingly, rather than anomalous objects, he's been using craft vehicles, intelligently controlled. And if you read the wording of this absolutely momentous Gillibrand amendment that's gone before the Senate, which would essentially put into the appropriations legislation of the US Defense Department within the next few weeks a requirement on the Pentagon and the intelligence community to report on everything it knows, including quite clearly um, the testing of materials, medical studies. Medical studies of what exactly? What are we talking about here? Um, let's go through some of these indicators. Um, uh, give me five seconds and I'll find the page. Yeah, There's sure. a science. They, they, they're requiring an investigation or a scientific plan to develop scientific theories to account for characteristics and performance of unidentified aerial phenomena that exceed the known state of the art in science and technology, including in the areas of propulsion, aerodynamic control, signatures, structures, materials, sensors, countermeasures, weapons, electronics, and power generation, and provide the foundation for future investments to replicate any such advanced characteristics and performance. So that, to me, is groundbreaking because you have in black and white in legislation or a bill that's being put before the Congress, an acknowledgement of a technology that is far beyond known human technology. I, for the life of me, Andy, do not know why that is not a front page story on every national newspaper in the United States. It is momentous. And I know for a fact, because I've spoken to congressmen and senators who've been in on these classified briefings, I know for a fact that that particular uh, requirement in the legislation has come about because of those classified briefings. People's worldview was rocked by what they were told in those briefings. And a lot of what happened in those briefings is driving my understanding of what's coming down the line. And so to answer your question, if you read that legislation, it doesn't just deal with data collection on these anomalous objects. Uh, but, but in and of itself, it's momentous what they are requiring. And I, I think before we start worrying about when they're going to start acknowledging, acknowledging the possibility of intelligent life forms, I think it's just important to stop for a moment and go, wow, how far have we come in four years since the 2017, which is almost exactly four years ago, the December 2017 uh, New York Times story, which revealed the existence of this secret UFO program. We are now in a situation where the United States Congress is demanding both classified and unclassified reports to the Congress from across the entire intelligence community, from across the entire Five Eyes community. That's from Britain and the um, Australian community, Canada, New Zealand. Every country is going to be approached by America in a coordinated inquiry to ask for information on UAPs. This is really interesting. But then, as you go down through this, there's more woo stuff that's really interesting. They also require an assessment of any health-related effects for individuals that have encountered unidentified phenomena. Uh, that's really interesting because you need to put that in context with what has just come out this evening from Professor Gary Nolan of Stanford University. He, he's yeah. been doing research for the Defence Department into pilots, one of whom I've actually spoken to, who've engaged up close with the phenomenon. And sadly, these pilots are suffering horrible injuries, some of them. In the report that Gary Nolan has given to, I think, Vice.com, the news magazine Vice.com, he actually talks about how people have died 
from this, that this is really serious stuff, and it's linked into the Havana syndrome, which is this syndrome that's been afflicting uh, U.S. diplomats all around the world where they've had these mysterious symptoms that that um, are essentially stopping them from working and stopping them doing their intelligence activities in whichever country they were based in. And I think we're on the beginning of a revelation. There's, there's clearly a controlled disclosure here of some kind being made. You know, it's good science to collect the data first. And I think what's going to happen is we're going to see in the first report to Congress in October 2022, or probably earlier, we're going to see data being collected that makes it absolutely irrefutable. It'll, it'll make the debunkers go away and hide in their holes. It makes it absolutely irrefutable that there is an anomalous phenomenon here that involves technology, intelligently crafted technology, far beyond known human science. Then we'll start talking about what that intelligence is. Because I'm, I'm told the answer is not easy. Because it's, I don't think on it's that, one thing. I don't yeah, think it's I, one I thing. I mean, I, I, let me follow up first, Ross, just before you go on, okay? Because I've got two things. One might touch slightly on that as well. You mentioned um, about the, the people inside, the small number of people inside the, the government that would know what's going on. When you say what's going on and given what you've spoken or who you've spoken to and what you've spoken about, even those who are in the know, shall we say, that could explain an aspect of what the phenomenon may be, how much do you think they know? If, if there was one person who knew as much as anyone in the world, can you put a percentage on what you think? Do they know everything? Could they tell us everything about the phenomenon or is it just they have a better idea? No, mate, I, I actually think the problem that we have at the moment is, I'll tell you my gut instinct, okay? This is my gut instinct as a journo. I, I am, as I've said earlier, I'm in no doubt that the United States has retrieved technology that it believes is intelligently crafted by a non-human intelligence. I have no doubt about that whatsoever. I've heard that from multiple sources, and there's more than enough information on the public record now, including from the cheeky, slightly flirtatious statements from Luis Elizondo. I'm in no doubt about that whatsoever. What I think, though, is the most interesting admission that's been made by any insider is the comments that, are, that were made before he went into Aerospace Corporation by Dr. Eric Davis. And I know there are a few people who try and pour shit on Eric Davis and basically say he doesn't know what he's talking about and he's hiding behind you know, his security clearances and making himself sound more important than he is. But I've spoken to people who vouch for Eric Davis. He knows what he's talking about. And he has talked about the fact that there has been a back engineering program trying to re-engineer this technology for decades, and it hasn't been very successful. And that, I think, is the issue. There are a lot of people who know a bit, but I suspect, you know, I think I might have told you this before, Andy, that in my line of work, we, we have a saying, which is always assume a screw up before a conspiracy. I don't believe necessarily in an overarching conspiracy, a kind of a Majestic 12 conspiracy where there's a group of blokes sitting around a table going, we do not want Andy McGrillan and the UFO podcast to know about what we know. You know, it just doesn't happen. Frankly, governments are so bloody hopeless at keeping most secrets that, frankly, um, the notion of an overarching body like that is, to me, I find implausible. It might have existed once. Uh, and indeed, you know, there's a, there's a there's a bit of evidence to suggest that shortly after the discoveries that were made in the wake of World War II and the atom bomb, there was such a group. But I don't believe there is one now. And I think the problem that we have is that I'm told it is the case that at some stage a few decades ago, a decision was made to get this away from the scrutiny of oversight committees, the scrutiny of the Congress, um, inspector generals, and that sort of stuff, and it was taken into private aerospace. So really, the people in government who know about this, there's a small handful of people in government who actually know about retrieved technology. But there's a wide number of people who know about the anomalous phenomena. It is 
absolutely, I've just lost count of the number of people that I've spoken to, some of whom have sought me out, uh, who've told me about things that they've seen on satellite telemetry data, infrared data, videos, E2 Hawkeye readouts, you know, there's just the most extraordinary array of data that basically shows there is an anomalous phenomenon that cannot be explained. And frankly, I don't know about you, but I get bored with the fact that we're just constantly being sent blurry vision of, of you know, weird objects and you can't make a determinative comment about them. I want to go further than that. And, and this is what's really interesting is that when I'm talking to these insiders, it's quite obvious that they know a bit but they don't know the whole story. They're as puzzled about this as you and I are. But I do think there are people at the top of the echelon who know what's going on. And I think a very small number are read into this. Quite a number of the um, scientists that I've spoken to who have been part of what they assert was the program, the attempt to back and engineer some of this technology, they describe a scenario where it's so frustrating for them as a scientist that they've been given literally an object to investigate. They're not told anything about it other than a few very limited facts. And then then told, you know, try and figure out how it works. <laughs> now, the basis of good science is to publish what you know, put it open for peer review, and allow everybody to analyze your data and tear it down and reassemble it and have a look at it and see what you conclude as a result of it. That's not happening with this. And that's the tragedy. The tragedy is, is that um, I'm told we haven't been very successful in replicating whatever this is. That's the issue. So yes, there are a few people, a very small number of people, I suspect, I doubt even a president, knows the full story. I suspect George Bush Sr. knew the full story. He was probably the last president to be fully read into this. But I don't think Barack Obama, Bill Clinton, or even particularly not Donald Trump had any idea, and certainly not Joe Biden. I think they've been told that, yes, there is anomalous phenomena. But if you think about that, if you think about the fact that the commander-in-chief of the American Armed Forces is not being read into the full story here... That's the crazy thing to me, because if I was the commander-in-chief of the American Armed Forces, I would see it as my responsibility and my right to demand information. But I'm told presidents have tried. That's the issue, is that whatever this is, it's so heavily compartmentalized and so just way off the, the scale in terms of heavy-duty science that for the individual people who've come across the phenomena, it's almost impossible to understand other than, and this is why I think it's been kept secret for so long. Um, I, I, I spoke to somebody in our military recently because, and it wasn't this particular guy, but there was an air vice marshal who's the chief of our F air force, a guy called Mel Hupfield. And I gave him a bit of a bollocking in a, a story that I did. In fact, the documentary that you referred to, because, you know, I know that there are people receiving Five Eyes intelligence um, that he's talking about UAP phenomena, but he gave evidence to a parliamentary committee in Australia saying that he wasn't aware of any ongoing UAP investigations or research and wasn't aware of any UAP incidents. Now, I, I know that's not the case, and it's really interesting to me that the head of our Air Force is not being read into things that I know other people down the line are being told about. And this is the problem, is that we all assume that in um, a national security infrastructure, you know, the people in charge are all read into everything. They're not. One thing, Ross, I want to go back and mention as well, you talked about you have spoken to some of those Congress people and senators who have been told uh, what's going on within classified briefings. You used the word told, but have you also heard about what they may have seen within these briefings we've heard about videos that are 40 minutes of sci-fi i believe is one of the quotes that went about online but what what are they seeing that's changing that worldview that you've heard oh well look um uh, uh two of the people that i've spoken to have told me that they have seen videos and had videos described to them which display within i think it was 
I think it was 50 yards, within 50 yards of an aeroplane cockpit, you're seeing a mechanical object doing impossible things. Crystal clear video. And and I was told by another individual that there was an E-2 Hawkeye, which is a surveillance reconnaissance aircraft that does full battlefield um, planning and sends all the data back into the combat weapons systems for the for the carrier group, I was told that um, this was also independently verified by the different <coughs> sensor systems on an E2 Hawkeye. And so th- th- this has been the thing, this is the game changer, is that whereas with the Nimitz Tic Tac video, which I think the military felt safe about releasing because it is just so bloody irritatingly blurry. I mean, it, yeah. uh, b- be aware, I mean, there is telemetry the most interesting thing frankly i'm told is not the videos I, I, one scientist had a go at me and he says are oh, you journalists you're always obsessed with seeing things he said the most interesting stuff is the data surrounding those videos and and he described to me you need to look at the noise data the signals data and the you know the telemetry data showing the performance features of these objects and um he said that's what really blew him away and that's what's been apparently revealed in the committee hearings is that you can't just look at these videos and reach a conclusion about them it's the videos in conjunction with the other data that basically makes it so compelling because it allows the, the the boffins that are investigating this stuff to exclude the mundane prosaic explanations you know the um god bless him mick west um you know, explanations, seagulls, um, splodges on the perspex, you know, all of that's been considered. And it, it's an implausible explanation for what they're seeing, I'm told. Do you have any inkling, though, as to how far away we are from getting something that isn't what we got in 2017? And I'm not asking that, are we going to get that, you know, cockpit video? Because I've heard about that as well. But just something that's a bit more juicy, better clarity, maybe with some of that data to back it up as well. Oh, God, Andy, I wish I could be positive. I mean, I, I freely admit, I'm, I, I think we're at a really interesting point where everybody thinks there's going to be an ongoing process of disclosure. I'm not so sure. I think it's possible still, even now, even though this Gillibrand Amendment has been pushed through the Congress, it doesn't require that everything that's collected in the form of the data be published, revealed. You know, we could find ourselves... I mean, one of the things that shocked me when I spoke to attorney Dan Sheehan was his revelation to me that there really are, there are still classified sections of Project Blue Book, the Air Force's investigation into the phenomenon, that are still classified to this day. And, and that's been formally denied by the Air Force. But he just says, no, categorically, that's nonsense. He's seen it. He's seen photographs of what he says was a flying saucer lying in a, a snow-covered piece of desert being searched and recovered by US military. Those, those photographs have never been revealed, and he saw them um, 50 years ago. So can we really expect that the US government is going to reveal this, or are we being fed a line? Are we being – I think the more plausible possibility is that we're told, yes, there is a phenomenon here. Yes, it's real. Um, yes, we do think potentially this is an intelligent life form. And, you know, I, I was just amazed this morning because when you read what um, – UAPX has announced. Are you across what UAPX has also announced this morning? Yes, I've I've seen the the statement. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, basically, that they've been. I, I I hear rumors that at least part of their project has had some helpful government funding or funding from, um, yeah, uh, non private areas, and apparently they've concluded they have they're not allowed to release their data yet but they've concluded that there may exist a sufficiently advanced human technology that is of yet unaccounted for in their analysis initial results suggest that data captured by UAPX eliminate human technology as a possibility for many instances of interest under further review now that's momentous but Frankly, will that data be released? Will it be revealed? I'm not so sure it will. 
This is the issue. issue. We can't assume. We can't assume that just because this data is being collected and just because the Congress is being given this data, that it will necessarily be um, released. And I think one of the upsets in the um, uh, the legislation that the amendments that have gone before the Congress. There was hope that there was going to be set up in the original Gillibrand proposals. There was there was a proposal for an independent science advisory group, and the hope was that SCU, the um, uh, the UAP investigation group composed of many reputable scientists, would be involved. And people had noted that Chris Mellon and Lou Elizondo had um, both been. Um, invited to be part of the Galileo project. And it was kind of hinted that they might end up, or at least one of them might end up being on that science advisory body in that oversight role. But because that the Pentagon's been able to head off in the amendments, that science advisory body, can you imagine the Pentagon having to answer to an independent science advisory board, including civilian scientists? Never going to happen. And so I can understand why it didn't happen. But to me, it it did not bode well for the idea of transparency, which is why, frankly, people have to keep on pushing. And uh, I think when I was on your show originally, Andy, I, I actually made the point that no change is going to come unless people rattle the cage. The wheel that squeaks gets the grease in politics. And, and the Gillibrand Amendment is a perfect example of how people power has actually forced the Congress into a, a just unprecedented level of disclosure. But I worry that this legislation uh, or, or the bill, as it is proposed at the moment, doesn't have sufficient independent oversight. Congressional committees, Senate oversight committees have been snowed before. National security, especially in these increasingly dangerous times, is a very powerful mantra. So my worry is that we might see a situation where, yeah, the Congress is being given data, but the public isn't getting to hear it. And uh, do you know what's funny? I peek behind the actor's curtain here. My my final question was going to be about what gives you hope. This isn't just another cycle, and the genie won't be put back in the bottle. But you're you're saying that there is a a potential scenario where that does happen. But h- how much can the public be given that uh, you know? If even that admission you mentioned that there is potentially a non-human intelligence at play with uh, some of this phenomena, surely that isn't going to go away then from a public point of view or can you really see a scenario where that could happen well this is the other thing um a few of my sources have actually said to me that the phenomenon is making disclosure inevitable and just to explain that i mean i've been talking to people who are aware of the scale of the recent sightings off the Virginia coast involving carrier battle groups doing workup exercises with um, fighter squadrons. And, um, you know, I'm told that pilots are going up and frequently coming into contact with dozens of anomalous objects. The phenomenon, whatever it is, is making itself so obvious, so overt, it's impossible to not collect data on it. And this is the thing that's been driving, I think, a lot of the um, sense of urgency in the Congress. Um, There's a great string, and I don't have it in front of me here, but it's up on Reddit, which goes through all of the different congressmen and senators who've basically been read into the classified briefings that were given to them in SCIF facilities inside the Congress. And I think it's really instructive reading for anybody who's trying to get across this issue because I was really impressed by how driven they are now, these politicians, by a a sense of need for this to be investigated. And I'm told that's what's driving that is that the intensity and frequency of these sightings is just off the scale. Um, uh, the the number of objects that are being seen in each um, engagement is just extraordinary. And frankly, if what Gary Nolan, if what Professor Gary Nolan at Stanford University has revealed today is correct, that there are absolutely adverse health effects that have come being suffered by people who've come up close to this phenomena, that's really alarming. It's actually quite concerning. 
We need to know more about that. And I can understand why any congressperson would basically be desperately keen to make sure that it's properly resourced and properly investigated. But I can also understand why the national security infrastructure might go, you know what, we still can't rule out the possibility that this is a um, either a state actor or a non-state actor on this planet. And for that reason, we need to properly investigate it because it's a national security issue. You know, the, this links into, Nolan's made it quite clear, this links into the Havana syndrome. There's been this weird thing that's been going on where US diplomats have been suffering weird illnesses that cannot be explained. And some debunkers have suggested it was just psychosomatic. But it does appear that, that Nolan's research has shown that there is something very real happening. Now, if I'm a defense security person trying to get across it, I can understand why they might want to keep it secret for a while longer. I'm not making excuses for them because we should. We should be needling and pushing. But frankly, I, I don't see at the moment the degree of momentum that should be happening in the mainstream media because the mainstream media, frankly, is completely dropping the ball on this subject. I did an interview with a, a very, very reputable journalist in your country, I won't say who, just the other day. And they did a long interview with me where I took them through the reasons why this issue needs to be engaged with far more seriously and, and needs to be taken seriously by mainstream media and seriously investigated as a beat, as a round by news organizations. You know, this is the probably the biggest story of the moment if people sit back and think about it. We have the beginnings of an acknowledgement by the US government that there is an intelligent form of life that is not human with a sophisticated, highly advanced technology engaging with humanity. Wow. And yet it's not on the front page of the Times, the New York Times, the Washington Post. It should be. But I wonder, given the comment you've just made there, Ross, that the phenomenon is in a way revealing itself and making making disclosure potentially more palatable or easier to come about or harder to avoid... It only seems to be unveiling itself to, to the military. You mentioned pilots going up and encountering a dozen UAP. Obviously, if a, if you go up in a commercial airliner or Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk go up in one of their flights and 12 UAPs start buzzing about one of those, then that's a different story. But those mass sightings still seem to be exclusive to the military almost. Why wouldn't it unveil itself again like a Phoenix Lights type event? Would make surely well, I mean, all of I mean, that. The, I would have thought the Phoenix like event disproves what you're saying. Clearly, there's a phenomenon that's been manifesting itself to humanity, not just the military, for years. Uh, I mean, I, I, there is something intelligent. I, I can't explain that, but there is clearly something intelligent that has been manifesting itself to humanity for years. I mean, you'd recall in my documentary, there's, there's a school in Australia which was buzzed by three metallic elliptical silvery discs, 200 plus people saw it. And despite official attempts at a cover-up, those witnesses still believe what they saw was something not of this world. Um, so there is a phenomenon that I think is manifesting itself to humanity. It's actually quite inquisitive, interestingly enough, about kids. I was, I was talking to somebody just yesterday about another school sighting that I'd never heard about. Um, the number of sightings of these objects over schools is is fascinating. There's literally over 100 such sightings. Um, so, the, and and look, if if the if the the volume of emails and messages that I'm getting personally is any guide, I, I mean, I I've lost count of the number of people who've emailed me in recent months and said. I saw your documentary, I, I've read your book, I've never told anybody about what I saw, and I don't quite know why I've never told anybody about what I saw, because I'm I'm not ashamed of it, and I'm very sure of what I saw, but this is what I saw. And often, it's just freaky stuff where they're in, engaging clearly with something that is highly advanced technology, intelligent, and completely and utterly inexplicable by anything on this planet. And frankly, the, the notion that this is just military engagements is, I think, wrong. I, I think that what's happening is the military now has the technology, particularly FLIR imaging, uh, phased array radar systems, um, tracking technology, which makes it easier for the military to be able to measure this stuff. But 
you know, as we both know, there are people now in private enterprise who are setting up in private groups technology which will hopefully be similarly able to record the phenomenon. And I think part of that is driving the imperative from the Pentagon because they've known for years they've had the monopoly on this kind of technology that allows them to um, to monitor this stuff. Uh, but it's now becoming increasingly impossible for them to deny the obvious. I mean, I'm a huge fan of a great group in the UK called Bellingcat, which is an open source intelligence organization, which essentially collects things like social media videos. And shortly I was involved, it was a terrible tragedy when the um, Malaysian Airlines MH17 jet was shot down by the Russians. The Russians tried to deny that they'd shot this aircraft down over the Ukraine and we'd lost dozens of people. In Australia, it's an absolute horrible, horrific tragedy, and I've I've spoken to the families of the beautiful little children who were killed, and it's just awful. Basically, horrible, meaningless act of barbarism by the Russians. And um, the interesting thing was that the key evidence that came through that revealed the Russian complicity in firing a Buck missile rocket launcher at this aircraft in the mistaken belief it was a Ukrainian military aircraft. That information came from open source intelligence gathered by people from Bellingcat using social media, Facebook, you know, some of these Russian buck missile operators that actually posted on social media saying where they were and they were able to use the location data to track the movement of this rocket launcher. So imagine if similar OSINT, similar publicly available data allows us to, for example, um, use satellites, maybe the Elon Musk satellites to to measure um, uh, objects moving through our atmosphere. I mean, that technology is now available. People are now able to buy far higher resolution satellite telemetry imagery than ever before. And so I think we're on the cusp of a technological revolution that makes it very, very difficult for the the people who've controlled this information because they've largely only had the technology that allows this to be perceived We're now on the cusp of a revolution that makes it possible for all of us to be able to do this kind of digging. And we should. By golly, we should. We shouldn't just sit back and tell ourselves disclosure is going to happen. Transparency is on the way. It's all light and good and the government's going to tell us everything. Believe me, they won't. They won't tell you a thing unless you push. In the limited time we've got left, Ross, I want to ask you, you mentioned satellite uh, imagery and data before. Have you ever heard any information or evidence, this was from Newman, um, whether these UAPs are potentially conducting operations in orbit or in space? I can't really say for sure, to be perfectly honest, mate. I mean, there are what I can tell you is, uh, and this is in my book, in my book, Bob Fish, who is a very highly cleared, top secret SCI cleared, person in his time. He he was in an uh, aerospace facility uh, in Long Beach, California, one of the big defense aerospace companies, and he was literally shown telemetry data showing uh, an anomalous object, craft, call it what you like, maneuvering in front of a DSP, Defense Support Program satellite, changing velocity, changing course, and then entering Earth's atmosphere. I'm told by both American and Australian sources who've worked out of the Pine Gap facility, and that's the facility that records ICBM launches all around the world. It's like America's early warning satellite scanning system for rockets, essentially, uh, anomalous space objects. Um, There's also a space telescope in Exmouth in Western Australia, and that's all hardwired into a, a data feed that goes back to the United States. And a lot of this is run by Australians. And we're doing quite a good job helping out Space Command, US Space Command. But I'm told that as well as space junk, no thanks to the Russians for that, for exploding one of their satellites recently, um, as well as space junk, increasingly this data is is detecting anomalous space objects, objects that are clearly showing intelligent control. But as for what their purpose is, um, I, I have no insights onto what the purpose is of this. All I can say is that, yes, data is being collected and people are worried about it. 
And Ross, one last thing to get in very quickly before we let you go. Uh, this was from Neil, but quite a few people wrote in about the future human time travellers idea, and it's something I know we, we talked about previously, and I think a lot of confusion happens around this. Uh, if the future was that bad, why would they not make contact directly or take direct action to change the course of history? What is your opinion now as we speak on, on the future humans theory? Okay, let me preface everything I say here by saying that just because I'm reporting what I've been told about the future human hypothesis, I'm not necessarily subscribing to the notion that I believe it, okay? I've heard it from multiple sources, and other people I know have heard it from other sources that are independent of mine. So I do believe that there are people in the intelligence and defense community who are purporting to be aware of this scenario. I cannot explain why they don't just, if if this is a future human scenario, wouldn't the best thing do? And it's the best argument, frankly, too. You know, why don't they just manifest themselves on the White House lawn and a big flying saucer and everybody can get on with their jobs? I don't know. All I can do is speculate that it, it involves a fear of adjusting the time stream, which is what I was told, that it, that essentially, you know, the very fact of being overt alters the time stream. And my understanding, my limited understanding, as much as my tiny little brain can cope with this whole notion, is that uh, the best it's been explained to me, um, it's not a case that you can alter the time stream anyway, directly. It's more a case that by going back in time, if this was theoretically the case, if this is possible, by going back in time, the increasing speculation is all it's going to do is open up a multiverse. It's going to open up open up an alternative universe with an alternative time stream. And so that's what's been explained to me is that 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 whilst you might have a scenario where let's assume that there is one group of future humans that wants change to happen and one group of future humans that doesn't want change to happen – Maybe they don't know what their meddling will achieve. You know, we're speculating that they know what they're doing. Maybe they don't. Maybe they're like us. But maybe they're aware that there is a, a you know, a future cataclysm or, or some kind of uh, apocalyptic event. And they're nervously trying to feel their way around how to deal with it. You know, maybe we assume... You know, we assume that people know, like we assume that our political leaders, our military leaders and our intelligence chiefs all know what's going on. Um, in the same way, maybe we're assuming that that future human scenario knows what's going on. Maybe they don't. But maybe they're trying to do something to let the people in power know that there is a scenario here that's an enormous risk to humanity. And perhaps the most plausible explanation is that they want to do this with minimal disruption to the time stream. Well, maybe I was going to say, Ross, a great way to explain that to the general public and get that idea would be for a major Hollywood studio to introduce the idea of a multiverse through some some big movies that might be coming out in the, the very near future. So, Well, actually, there's one already. I mean, I would commend to people that they watch this fantastic German series called Dark, which has been on Netflix in my country, and I think it's been on in the UK as well. Have I've you seen heard Dark? Of it, yeah. I've not seen it, but I mean, I've heard it's been recommended. I mean, it's it's the most nihilistic and depressing series known to man, but um, it's it's compelling. And my understanding from somebody who purports to know is that its representation of the time stream disruption issues is fairly accurate. Well, Ross, our time stream is up because you have to get going. Can I just ask uh, <laughs> what is coming up next for you, and uh, what's your what's your follow ups? Any f- future documentaries coming out, or a follow up to In Plain Sight? Well, certainly the TV station that I work with is very keen for follow-ups, but I'm only keen to do one when I've got something interesting to say. Um, I'm working on a um, uh, a, a one- or two-off sort of podcast project of my own at the moment, which um, uh, will probably be uh, up online in the next few weeks. Uh, uh, and... Um, I'm also working on a documentary proposal. I, I would really like to bring the skill set that I have as an investigative journalist. I feel frustrated that I've only had, you know, an hour and a bit to tell the documentary that I've already published. 
Um, and frankly, the volume and intensity of the audience interest in this subject matter makes me think that if I can find the funding for it, I would be really interested in, as a journalist, bringing the skill set that I have to doing a more reactive and more frequent discussion and investigation of the phenomenon. I think I think it's time for mainstream media to treat this like any other round, any other journalistic beat. And uh, if mainstream media is not going to do it, then I'm thinking maybe I need to. So at the moment, I'm I'm looking for funding. I'm talking to various production people about ideas because I <laughs> was it just me who was frustrated with that J.J. Abrams UFO series? No, it wasn't. No. Uh, the it first couple dreadful. of episodes generally were, were okay, and then it went right it off was a cliff. Appalling. It was a uh, oh, it was awful. I mean, it was like they just gave up. There was no rigor, no journalistic analysis and rigor in in what they brought in those final two episodes. Really annoyed me, and I guess that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking that you know, the public know good investigative journalism when they see it, and and that's what I'd like to do. I'd really like to be able to bring to this subject matter rigor and, and you know and when when it's bollocks and when it should be treated with skepticism let's treat it with skepticism but but let's i mean i think a reactive news program that basically follows up on the issues of the day things like this gary nolan thing i mean i, I love the fact that vice has done this interview with professor gary nolan at stanford university about his investigations into the so-called metamaterials and and the health effects the alleged adverse health effects on um people who've come up close to the phenomenon. But, you know, why isn't there a documentary film about that? You know, why isn't there something that really goes into that in much more detail? That's the sort of stuff I'd like to do. Well, Ross, it's been a pleasure speaking to you again. And uh, you have been genuinely some of my favourite conversations from the year. And I look forward to welcoming you back on in 2022 as well. And Andy, I'm very, very pleased to see you're up and about after a bout of COVID. And I wish you and your family the, the very, very best for Christmas. And same to everybody out there. That is all for this week's show. Thank you very much for listening. Please remember to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform. You can like, retweet and subscribe. That would all be very much appreciated. The shows are being uploaded onto YouTube as we speak more and more. You can sign up at patreon.com forward slash that UFO podcast to access shows ad free as well. Please get in touch on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, that UFO podcast. Of course, on Twitter, it's at UFO, U-A-P-A-M. And again, folks, as always, keep looking up. You never know what you might see. It wasn't a tic-tac and not quite a saucer, more like a hubcap designed by Chaucer, a little baroque and quite steampunk, like Alice was playing bass for the Parliament of The little fucker hovered right outside of my window, and when I shoved out the screen, he made it an issue. I don't think he expected me to see his ass, but I'd had some champagne and smoked a little more. Meditative game of fateful on meta. I can't imagine how it could have been any better. I got to the top of the stairs and there he was. Like, you awake? I was about to abduct you, cuz. I jumped back and nearly kissed myself. Then I climbed out the window after the elf. And I woke up in my bed and there was something on my head. And everything was weird and everything was red. My boys, they thought this was noise, they thought it was a dream, they thought it was my toys, they thought it was my problems, and they think I should take care of me, and I don't know what it is, because it doesn't really scare me. Consider your space, consider your lies, consider your life, consider your eyes.